The EC Podcast exists to equip believers to make disciples and love others for the glory of Jesus Christ. Bobby Payne, and welcome to episode number 20, where we are answering questions submitted by you, the listeners, on heaven or hell, or heaven and hell, I guess. Uh, We're going to start off answering some questions about hell and then move towards uh, discussing some questions on heaven. But with me today are pastors Aaron Case, Jonathan Mitchell, and Gary Singleton. Gentlemen, welcome back. It's good to be back. Thank Thank you, you, sir. Thank you, sir. It's been a couple of weeks since we've gotten to sit here and do this, and Really excited to be back in the saddle and and go with this. Um, as a disclaimer, I think it would be important to start off by saying that we are going to be speaking openly and candidly um, and just discussing some questions, again, that have been submitted by the listeners. Uh, some of them are very difficult questions, and, you know, we will share our thoughts and our opinions and scripture, and, you know, it may not be exactly the same as everybody else in the room. And I think that's okay. Um, you know, we were discussing in our, in our prep that uh, it's okay to disagree on things. We're, as Aaron always says, we're not kicking people out of the kingdom. Um, you know, it's not to that level, but it's different interpretations of things. And so we just wanted to uh, kind of put that out there as we start going through this. I think it matters because there's so many misconceptions on heaven and hell. There's liberties taken you know as gospel truth and i think that's why i'm really excited about our time together today yeah so let's let's go ahead and start off uh with the first question that was submitted and uh good luck i guess i don't know (laughs) i don't know how to say that but maybe good luck here we go uh so here we go why does the old testament not mention hell by name and i'm going to add a little bit to this uh and then we can break it down later if we need to but uh, the second part of this says, what's the significance of the other names for hell in the Bible, Hades and Sheol, or any other names? And then uh, the last piece of that throws in a mention of Abraham's bosom. So I don't know how you want to start this. That's, that's a pretty big question, but uh, ready, set, go. All right. Well, <laughs> everyone moved away from the mic, so I guess I'll go. Um, all right. Yeah. From From what I've from what I've found, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, judgment is mentioned all throughout the scriptures and not just in the New Testament. Um, if, I, if I've if i counted correctly, and I may be wrong, and I'm fine with being told that I'm wrong, um, Sheol is translated around 35, uh, 34 times in the Old Testament. And what I would say is, and how I believe is, Sheol is the abode of the dead, where, are, where there are two departments. There is Abraham's bosom, um, and then there is also Hades, um, which is the temporary place of punishment for those who um, reject Jesus and his gift of salvation. So um, I would say that it is, it is discussed, it is talked about, and so it's not something that's negated and just brought up in the New Testament, but as in other teachings of Scripture, it is 
um, completely consistent throughout both testaments. So, um, you know, there, I, I think this comes up in a lot in the in the idea of like a different God in the Old Testament. You know, we hear that all the time. God is a God of grace in the New Testament. Um, when in fact God is is consistent, there is no shadow of turning in Him. Um, he's the same God in both testaments, and we we thank God for that consistency because that's how we know we can trust Him and follow Him, and that His word will stand forever and ever. So, um, no, I I would say yes that the um, the eternal damnation is mentioned in Scripture in the Old Testament, and that is consistent with the New. And when we think about like Hades, we hear the word Hades and we think of hell. We think of, you know, that's where the unrighteous go. And that's not a wrong understanding. But if you were to look at the Greek Septuagint, which is the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Hades would be used uh, where Sheol is used every time except three times in the Old Testament. And so it's the same understanding about Hades as well. It's the abode of the dead. Uh, so sometimes could be translated, understood just to mean grave, right? So, I mean, that, that'll come up maybe later when we talk about, uh, think about what David said in Psalm 16, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, right? Uh, Peter quotes that same thing in Acts 2. Um, so that's a, it, it's an abode of the dead, but it's also uh, used as the place where unrighteous people go. And so I think we need to understand how that can be used. And, and we even talked a little about this in, in just discussions. This is a place, the understanding of shale where there's a little bit of disagreement amongst the elders. I think I may be one V two here. So I guess that means I'm wrong, <laughs> but I, I would, I would just simply leave it at, at that. I think uh, there's places where it's to be understood as, um, as the grave. Right. And, I think that's where the Apostles' Creed might have, uh, where there's some misunderstandings about what Jesus descending into hell means. And so that'll also get brought up later. But we also, when we when, when I think about Sheol, uh, I think of the dead, the place where the unrighteous go. And I, I think there's Old Testament evidence for when people who die, uh, who we consider Old Testament saints, so die looking forward, believing in Messiah, uh, I, I think there's evidence of them going to be in heaven, um, not the place, the abode of the dead, if that, that makes sense. So. We good there? Want to add anything to that? Gary's shaking his head like, we're good. We are totally good on that. <laughs> oh, shame. Okay. Well, hey, that's okay. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> sorry. we'll move on to the second question then. And again, whoever wants it can start and we'll, and we'll go from there. But question number two says, can you discuss the harrowing of hell? Question mark. So that's part one of that. Did Jesus go down to hell to rescue the Old Testament believers? Question mark. Where was Jesus between the crucifixion and the resurrection? Question mark. So kind of three parts there. Um, Fun question. Yeah, that is a that's a fun question from one of our dear friends. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, speaking, G money. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Get in there. Um, Matthew thirteen, um, starting in verse forty one. Uh, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin 
and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, a couple things about hell. Um, one, um, it's separation from God. Um, this morning I woke up, I was able to breathe the air, I was able to enjoy the sunshine, and so was all of the unbelievers. Um, it's common grace. Um, in hell there is no common grace. I think in hell people remember, will remember that they were able to breathe the air. They were able to enjoy the sunshine. Um, they were able to enjoy um, uh, life. Um, and they will be separated that for all eternity. Which is the second thing. That just It's eternal. Um, I think people uh, get hurt. They, uh, they say things like, well, well, that was just absolute um, um, hell on earth. Um, and... I think people can say that knowing that eventually that pain or that um, turmoil that they're experiencing will end. Um, in hell, it never ends. It's eternal. Yeah. It's constant. It, it will never go away. Yeah, so I think we need to ask, you know, did Jesus experience that? So uh, did he... Did he descend into hell the hell that gary just described biblically um or is there a different understanding uh, you have the apostles creed right which says us that uh, jesus christ was died uh, that, that he died was buried and he descended into hell and so that's an that's a creed that's been recited throughout church history uh from i believe as early as 200 AD, something like that, 200, 300 AD. So a lot of Christians have been reciting that. It's a, it's a interesting question and some, some implications that are important with that. Um, once again, I know <clears throat> that we probably differ a little bit here in what we think. Um, and so I'll, I'll kind of give what I believe about Jesus, what happened uh, maybe on the cross or right after he died. Um, so for one, I think I, I like Wayne Grudem's uh, take on this. I think it's very good. So if you have a systematic theology book, I would I would point to him. I'll, I'll read real quickly what what he said about it. Um, he says it's very surprising to find that the phrase "he descended into hell" was not found in any of the early versions of the creed, in versions used in Rome and the rest of Italy and in Africa, until it appeared in one of two versions from Rufinus. I think is how you'd say that in AD three ninety. Then it's not included again in any version of the creed until 650. Moreover, Rufinus, the only person who includes it before 650, did not think that it meant that Christ descended into hell, but understood the phrase simply to mean that Christ was buried. So in other words, he took it to mean that Christ descended into the grave. So that kind of translation of Hades as the abode of the dead. And you you might ask, well, why, why was he buried and then descended into the grave? And Wayne Grudem points out that it was probably used uh, in place of he was buried, and then while other while other creeds had he was buried, they thought, oh well, this needs to be added. So there's that distinction. Uh, then some have taken, and I, I enjoy this take a little bit more. And I mean, Aaron has to. Uh, 
Because uh, some take it to mean that Christ suffered the pains of hell while on the cross. So Calvin, Aaron, <laughs> for example, says that Christ's descent into hell refers to the fact that he didn't—he not only died a bodily death, but it was expedient at the same time for him to undergo the severity of God's vengeance to appease his wrath and satisfy his just judgment. So that descent into hell would be what Christ endured on the cross, um, enduring the wrath of God. There, Man, David Platt explains this so great. Like what Christ was sweating drops of blood for was not Roman nails, was not uh, the cattails and, you know, 39 lashes because there have been Christians who have been martyred who have said things like, you know, you may you may take the skin off of my body, but I will soon be clothed with Christ. Like, were they braver than Jesus? No. What Jesus was sweating drops of blood for was he knew that he was about to endure his father's wrath that was just justly due for the sins of his people. And so that that's, I, I like that take personally. Um, and I'll kind of pause there cause I'll, I don't want to get into exactly where Jesus went when he died. So do you have anything to add there? Aaron? I don't, <laughs> uh, before I talk for 30 minutes. Here. Well, I mean, yep. um, <laughs> where do we begin? Um, amen to, to a great deal of what you said. I, you know, I always, I always struggled um, with Jesus's words on the cross. Yeah. Um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and I've always struggled with those words wondering, how does God forsake himself? You know, how can there be division on what is eternally united? And then honestly, um, I was shown an interpretation by one of my favorite teachers, Dr. James White, and he mentioned Psalm 22. And just how the whole synagogue um, service would go, um, whoever the teacher was, whoever was the rabbi, would begin the psalm, and then those who were in the synagogue would, would finish it. And what I truly believe that Jesus was doing on the cross was beginning that psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Psalm 22, because he was, for, he was foretelling what was happening in those very moments to the people who are around him on the cross because that song, psalm ends in triumph. It ends in victory. And, and so what I believe is what he was saying is God, um, not that God was actually forsaking him, but he was pointing to the fact that um, the victory that was going to be won that day. Um, and I would say, you know, on the cross, Jesus bore our sins, God's perfect wrath. I don't think he had to, to wince to say that. I think he, exactly as Johnny said, I think I would agree with him 100%. In the garden, he knew what he was up against. And it was not the Roman spear that scared him or that brought blood to be sweat out of his body. But it was the wrath of Almighty God, the cup that he would drink to the full. Yeah. Um, so, so to that part, we definitely have, you know, you know, pretty pretty good agreement. Just I, a little I bit of difference. I agree with your take yeah. there uh, yeah. about the Psalm twenty. So far, I think that's so really far. Important. Do we, how do we want to proceed from there? Do you want to add anything, G? We good right there? I think we're good. We're good right there. Okay, so so what I would say then, um, well, I don't want to be the one who continues to talk all the time either. So so you just, sound better. <laughs> not true. <laughs> um, but anyway, so when Jesus died, what I would say is, and I would go back to my interpretation of the Old Testament. Um, and, and I would look to Lazarus and the, and the rich man, right? Um, 
when there was when he was the rich man was in torment, which I would know to be as Hades, which I would I would understand it to be. There was a great chasm between him and Lazarus, um, and they could not get to each other. But that was the abode of the dead, you know, before Jesus was was raised from the cross, uh, raised from the grave. And so my belief is Jesus went to Sheol, to Abraham's bosom, and ripped the gates that were confining that place like a city. We can see that laid out in Scripture um, to set those captives free. And when he rose from the grave and when he ascended into heaven, he took all those Old Testament saints with him to be with the Father forever and ever. And that's why Paul could say to be absent with the body is present with the Lord. So I would too say Jesus never went to hell. Um, He did descend into you know, the abode of the dead. Um, but that, that's, where, that's where I would see where he went. Um, and that's, I guess that's the place where I've landed in my understanding. Mm-hmm. you have anything to add to that, G, for all for my understanding? <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, that's, that's my take of it as well. Okay. So this is where I'm up against the elders here. <laughs> yeah, so where I understand that differently is... Um, I don't have a problem with uh, Luke 16, uh, the rich man and Lazarus, and there being a chasm, partly because of how the eternal fire is depicted in the when the eternal state begins. I mean, it's it's right there, and so I don't have any problem with like that being pretty close. Though there's a chasm, it can be seen, um, especially in regards to the rich man looking over and seeing uh, what's happening, but. What I understand, especially to that First um, Peter three passage that that Jesus um, preached to the spirits in prison, uh, what what I would say once I agree with Wayne Grudem again here. This is where, uh, in reading that back my freshman year of college, probably I thought this a very very wise uh, understanding is that <clears throat> Jesus preached in the spiritual realm through Noah in the days of Noah to the, to the people who did not obey, who formerly didn't. I mean, how many people were on the earth who were wicked and as Noah was preaching and in second Peter talks about, Peter talks about this in second Peter, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And so he was obviously preaching to people as he built the ark of God's coming judgment and those people did not obey. And so Jesus was preaching through Noah in that day uh, to the spirits who formerly did did not obey. That's how I would uh, understand that. And so my my understanding of what where Jesus went when he died, well, his body was in the grave. That's what I would you know. That's what he said. Just like uh, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. And so I think that's where his body was. But then I think his spirit was with the Father in paradise, where he told the the thief on the cross he would be that he would join him uh and my my other take of that just the reason why i think things like that is i think about elijah elijah ascended into heaven um you know before elisha's eyes and and so uh, those are the things that i kind of uh put together to to form what i understand that jesus didn't have to go preach to those that were in a compartment of sheol because i believe they were already in the presence of God, they were absent from the body and present 
with with the Lord. That's how I would understand the the difference there. Thank you for that. Uh, I think a good note here is to say that yet while there's still disagreement on certain things, we're no one's punching each other yet, so that's good. Um, <laughs> not, yet. Not, not yet. Not yet. Yeah, we're, we haven't um, talked about the carpet color, so, yeah. <laughs> and that's always the thing. So thank you for that. Well, I do want, I do want to say before we move to the next next part, if you look on Desiring God, Joe Rigney has um, a really amazing article where he goes and lays it out way better than I have, um, you know, with more scripture and stuff. If you go to Desiring God, where did Jesus go to when he died? Um goes through the whole events, and I think it'd be helpful for you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, If we're ready, we'll move on to question number three. And it says, Is God in control, sovereign, and reigning over hell? Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right. Yes, so on to the next one. Uh, Yes, uh, of course, God is sovereign, in in all areas but what i would say is um one one area of hell that is not not understood i think g did a great job of of explaining the eternality of it but what we think about in our world and what we talk about at eden chapel where many of our listeners may not have heard as as often as we've said it is we believe that god is restraining evil on the earth that men are not as wicked as they should be what I would again say, Sheol is the place where the absence of the praise of God. You know, at, David says it often. You know, you know, well, will I praise you when I go down to Sheol? Well, when we think about hell in in Hades, when then we think of the eternal state, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. Um, that is the absence in in the side of torment. That's the absence of God's restraint. And so when you and I go through like a rough neighborhood and we lock our doors and we try to get through the lights, you know, maybe run one a little bit to get out of that neighborhood, imagine multiplying that by a thousand with the absolute restraint off of everyone around you, including yourself. So many people think, oh man, when they're in hell, these people are going to be, you know, so, so sorry that they didn't take this chance. They didn't do that. I don't think that at all. I believe that they're going to be even more uh, granitized in their own rebellion and anger and hatred towards God. There will not be grace there, but there will be just punishment and judgment. So um, that's one of the parts that that I think is not, is overlooked, is the absolute unrestraint of the wickedness of men. Men will be as wicked as they and vile as they possibly can be. And that just adds to the absolute horror of eternal separation from God. Amen. So before you do that, um, I was going to throw this question on you at the end by surprise, but I think you kind of answered it there. Um, you know, I feel like I, I, growing up, you hear like the the torment or the separation, part of the separation, or the part of the torment is the separation. But what you're saying is they're not even going to care at that point because... They're not going to be able to look and say, man, I just, if I had just done this or, or whatever. But what you're saying is they, they do not care. They are living in their rebellion. They're doing their what we would do for ourselves here if there was not some sort of uh, grace involved yeah. to keep us from doing it. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. And it it will be awful. They won't enjoy their rebellion yeah. like at, at all. And that's something that, I've had to start to understand more and more as 
as I've continued my walk with Christ and, and reading his word is hell is not the absence of the presence of God. It's the full concentration of his wrath. And that's a really important thing to understand. So God is sovereign in hell. His wrath is being poured out justly on sinners do their sin. And I think it's really important that we understand this part of it because, uh, because people will be enduring the wrath of God always. They will be dying and never die. It's eternal death. It's, uh, I, think, I think there is a sense while they will be rebellious, while they will be angry, they will be shaking their fist at God for how awful and uh, in, their, uh, in their own minds unjust and uh, unfair he is. Uh, they will be in anguish on what they're enduring. Uh, I think there's evidence of that in Luke 16. You have a rich man who's enduring in that moment a temporal temporal hell that's not yet the eternal lake of fire. And he's saying, if someone would just go back and tell my brothers. And so there's this idea, there is anguish um, that they are enduring. And it's because it's the full weight of the wrath of God justly due sinners sin yeah i was you know i mean you hit it on the head i was just going to reiterate that that when i said uh separation from the lord i meant separation from god's common grace yeah like god is sovereign over hell it's god's wrath that people will be enduring for all eternity Mm. his wrath his eternal wrath and you know some people have this idea that you know the devil is going to have like a pitchfork and like be um um uh, torturing people um, the devil is in hell with the unbeliever they're both going to be cast into hell and uh, into a lake of fire it's god's wrath that's being poured out on all yeah satan isn't reigning in hell you know no it's not, not it's not like he's having his way in in hell he's being justly punished just like the unbeliever. just like the unbeliever yeah Amen. which is a great segue into our next question is it not yeah it is so uh Question number four says, is Satan currently bound in hell or is he reigning on the earth? He is bound but limited. Uh, let, let's just pause a second since uh, <laughs> since you all at home cannot see G's face and we can. I, we got to get a picture of that yeah, and put it on the website somehow. or something. Yeah. He was the smile and attack of the microphone there was awesome. I'm sorry. I had to, I had to, it had to be said. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you can continue. G is happy about that truth. <laughs> yeah, right. um, Satan is a defeated foe. He was defeated on the cross. Um, he is limited in what he can do. Um, he is, um, as the Bible says in First Peter uh, 5, um, uh, verse 8, um, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But he is limited in what he can do. Just like Aaron just said, um, you know, we're human beings, man is not as evil um, as, as he can be. Um, God's grace is upon us. God's common grace is upon us. Um, and we need to know that the devil is a defeated foe he is not um as he once was amen and i think i think the quintessential text regarding that is found in revelation 
not Revelations, by the way, Revelation chapter 20, uh, verse 1 through 3, it says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent which, serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended, and after that he must be released for a little while. So that's that's the text where we go to, um, and that's that's where it kind of refers to and, and deals with what we have, uh, what we're discussing in this question. Yeah, so there's... There's basically, I would say basically two understandings of, of this passage in, in regards to the question asked. And, and that would be, okay, so is Satan right now bound up or is he not? And and you if you ask that question just kind of at, at face value, everyone's like, oh, he's definitely not bound up. He's definitely out and he's messing with me and messing with my friends. And, you know, he's, a, he's an enemy looking to devour like a like a roaring lion and both statements can be true we can give two perspectives so um you hear in eschatology historic premillennialism which would be the understanding about this millennial reign of christ uh so satan would not be bound yet um it it will happen when christ returns um and so there's going to be uh there's going to be this return of Christ uh, and then this uh, binding of Satan for a thousand years. And then there'll be a thousand years um, where Christ reigns on the earth. And then Satan is unbound uh, if you will. And there's this great war. Um, and, and there's a lot of different kind of sub parts of premillennialism. Um, but I think the, the classic under or the historic understanding of it, would say Satan is not bound yet. Uh, he will be in the future. And when he, when he is bound, there will be a thousand years of, of great peace. Um, and the other side of it would be, you hear amillennialism or post-millennialism. And so, uh, which is the camp that I would fall into. Um, I believe Pastor Aaron falls into. I don't know about G. I, you I think, don't know about I don't know, man. man. On, man. <laughs> I, don't know about you. I don't know about G. You never uh, read my article? Uh, yeah, are you all? You're all? Oh, Mill. yeah. Are you plugging your article, man? Yeah. Is, that, is, yeah. that what, is that what happened? You'll be right signing no, books. No, I'm That's right. <laughs> yeah, his, his elder paper. That's oh, okay. right. He did. I yeah. thought that was a yeah. shameless plug. Are we yeah. going to accept that? <laughs> For a small <laughs> fee. Go to G, PastorG.com. Yeah. Ask, ask Pastor G. <laughs> Um, but that perspective understands the thousand years to not be a literal thousand years, but a very long time. The book of Revelation is full of symbols. So a very long time. The amillennial perspective would see the thousand years as happening uh, right now. And there's reigning in heaven uh, with the saints. And so uh, both amillennialist and postmillennialist believe that Satan right now is bound in regards to deceiving the nations, which is what, is said so think about like second corinthians 4 right so um satan has blinded the eyes of unbelievers but what can he not do he can't keep blinding like the gospel's going forward and when the gospel is proclaimed the people of god hear and their eyes are open to the light of the gospel so satan is bound in regards to deceiving the nations think about matthew 28 uh, who has all authority in heaven and on earth 
It's not Satan. Satan's bound. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And therefore, we can go and, and make disciples and baptize them because Satan is bound in regards to deceiving the nations. And so when we think about hell, there is, uh, from our perspective, what, what we would see is Satan is bound in, in this way in regards to deceiving the nations. And there's coming a day. There is coming a day when Satan will be fully and finally, and, and all uh, millennial understandings, uh, millennial views understand it. There is coming a day when Satan will be fully and finally thrown into the lake of fire uh, to be to be judged forever. And so um, th- that's the two distinctions. And um, we see that the gospel is going forward; uh, that the world is being one. Um, I, I personally believe that this is Christ's world, and uh, yes, there was a little G God of this world, but uh, it's not Christ is not relinquishing it over to Satan, and it's not going to be so far gone that it can't be redeemed. There's coming a day when this world will be saved, will be renewed, will be transformed, and just like our lowly bodies will be. Um, it's Christ's world, and we're Christ's people. And, and that's how he saves is that there's a transformation that he does. And, and that's the view that, that we would take there. Amen. And I, and I, I think so many of us, just because it's difficult and all the symbolism and all the difficulties we have with the book of revelation, um, we just throw it out. We're all paying millennialists, you know, we're all paying out in the end, <laughs> but in reality, eschatology matters. Yeah. It really does. It changes the way you see the world. If you just believe we're on a ship that's going down you're going you're gonna to grab those close to you and just hang on and watch it burn. But if you believe Christ is ruling and reigning now, that he will come and be victorious, then I think you're going to treat the world a lot differently. And not that that's the reason why we believe what we believe, but uh, we're, we're consumed with Scripture and, and held, held by that. But uh, just one of the things to, to think about is in regards to Satan currently being bound is a devil on a chain is a more dangerous devil almost in many ways than a devil who's free. And what do I mean by that? Like if you've ever walked by a junkyard dog, you know, who's on a chain and he's like, Oh, he don't bite. You know, you can pet him. You know, no, you don't get near that thing. Right. Because if you do, he's not letting you go. And, and so, um, we don't think that he's not a real enemy, mm-hmm. but at the same time, if you, if you look back in the text of revelation 20, um, one angel, takes Satan and throws him into the pit. That's not even our Savior. That's not our Lord. That's one of his servants. So greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, Christian. Right? Don't lose heart. Don't give. We should respect our enemy. We should not go out unequipped without the armor of God. But at the same time, he's a defeated enemy. Yeah, and his head's crushed. His head's crushed crushed by what Christ accomplished. Jesus' foot has a bruise. Yep. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, I'm going to stop us right there. Um, The amount of information and wisdom and scripture and things to think about uh, from this episode, I think that we've we've maxed out. And so we're going to take a week to kind of listen and let this sink in and and do your do your homework at home, your research at home and uh, and. You know, check us on that on what we've discussed today. Um, there's nothing more that we would love than for you to do that. And so we're gonna we're gonna pause right there, and we're gonna actually pick back up on a second episode um, next week, where we kind of finish up the discussion on hell, 
and move towards the questions about heaven. And so we hope that you'll join us for that. Um, if there are no other things to be said, gentlemen, I'm going to ask Pastor G if you'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, for for this day, for the opportunities to worship and glorify you, God. What a privilege we have each and every day to do so. God, I thank you for who you are, for your grace, your mercy, your love. Lord, your patience and kindness. Lord, I thank you for the the men in this room, Lord, for their hearts, uh, desire to worship and glorify you, Lord. Uh, I pray that we were able to do so today with the podcast, Lord. I pray that we represented you um, in a manner that's worthy uh, of you, Lord. I pray, Lord, for our church. Lord, I pray we continue to be led by your word, love others, and make disciples for your glory, Lord. And Lord, may we continue to um, seek you through your word. May we continue to honor you, Lord, and may may all that we do be to your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on the EC Podcast. If you do not have a church family, you can join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. If you are outside the area, we encourage you to find a Bible-believing church for fellowship and worship. Until next time, God bless. Amen.